The Sunday Grill with Carney and Co. Property Sales and Letting Wexford. We look after you from Enniscorthy to Rosslair and from Kilmuckridge to Kilmore. CarneyProperty.ie. You are listening to the Sunday Grill here on Beat 102 103. And first on the programme this morning, I'm delighted to say I'm joined on the line by the country's Deputy Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Ronan Glynn. Uh, Ronan, you're very welcome to the Sunday Grill and thanks very much for your time this morning. No problem, Dean. Good morning. Um, I suppose, could we start with a very generic question, which is, could you outline for us uh, and for our listeners where we are as a country at the moment in terms of COVID-19 and I suppose how we're doing overall? Yeah, sure, Dean. Um, I mean, in, in overall terms, we're, we're doing very well. Uh, we've seen a real stabilisation and, and, in fact, reduction in cases overall, again, over the past number of weeks. Um, obviously, there's been well-publicised uh, concerns about incidents in Limerick uh, but outside of that largely around the country uh, incidents has continued to, to decrease albeit slowly and I suppose of particular importance we've seen a continued improvement in the numbers in, in hospital and, and in critical care uh, and hopefully that will continue I suppose just for your own listeners this morning looking at, uh, uh, at counties in the southeast, east um, you know we have seen a, a, a slight increase in Carlow uh, over the last couple of weeks. Um, but again, it's it's not that much higher than national average. Similarly, uh, Waterford and Wexford are around the national average. And Kilkenny has, has a very low incidence uh, with just 27 cases over the last fortnight. Uh, so in broad terms, everything is going well. The vaccination programme is rolling out. I suppose the one thing that we're particularly concerned about is the, the Delta variant uh, and what impact that may have over over the coming weeks. And so we're very keen that people, particularly people who have not been vaccinated, continue to follow the basic basic messages so that so that we don't run into trouble over the coming weeks. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, the Delta variant or, or the Indian variant, maybe as people might know it more commonly. How much of a concern is that right now? I know the numbers in Ireland are, are relatively low, but is it a continue continuation of monitoring, I suppose? Exactly. I mean, we have to look at this on, on, a, on a day-to-day basis um, and... Whilst numbers are are low and improving, again, it doesn't take much for for this to turn around in the wrong direction very quickly. Um, of course, we're we're um, you know it's it's great that the vast majority of our older population and people with underlying medical conditions have at least one, if not two, doses of the vaccine at this stage. Uh, but there's still a wide proportion of the population that that are not protected. Uh, and really, over over the coming couple of months, it's very important that they continue to to take measures to protect themselves. So, um, like I know the weather is good. I know we want to be outside. We want to be meeting up with people that we haven't seen for 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 such a long period of time. But I think it's still very important that people avoid crowds, that we keep our distance from one another, and that yes, meet up with people, but try to meet up with people in small groups. Uh, try not to meet up with everyone that you want to meet up with in, in one go so that if someone does have symptoms or if someone does have COVID without symptoms, uh, that if they do pass it on, they're going to pass it on to a small rather than a larger group. Um, what we really need to avoid over the next few weeks are, are any super spreader events, large outbreaks that transmit out into a community uh, and cause a problem. And particularly, and obviously we particularly want to avoid that with the Indian variant or the Delta variant. 
Yeah, and I think that particular point, uh, Ronan, may have caused some confusion because obviously we were we were all told to enjoy outdoors and, and get out and about this summer. Then we seen what happened in, in the major cities a couple of weeks ago, which probably added some confusion. Um, so is what you've just said there, is that the clarity for, for people uh, across the region who want to get out and enjoy themselves just to do it in a very safe and spread out manner? Precisely. I mean, I, I know that, that there has been some some talk of confusion, but I do think the vast majority of people understand the message that we've been given, which is which is that we want people to, to, to get outdoors. We understand how difficult it has been for people over the past year. Uh, they want to meet up with family. They want to meet up with friends. And all of that is possible now. And, and people should go and interact and, and, you know, do things that they haven't been doing over the past year. But they can do that safely. So, again, it comes back to the basic things. And key amongst them, I suppose, is if you have any symptoms of COVID-19, don't meet up with anyone. Isolate yourself uh, and, and make sure that you organise a test for yourself just to make sure that it's not COVID. Don't take the risk of passing it on to your friends or family. And then if you are meeting up with people, as I say, try to meet up with them outside. Try to meet up in small groups and keep your distance. Yeah, and we hear um, an- anecdotally stories of, of people like uh, at the start, say, when, if people even just had a bit of a sniffle, they were straight on to the GP and everybody was concerned. But anecdotally, we've heard stories in the last particular, say, couple of weeks of people who who have what could be uh, uh, seen as symptoms, but the, the number of people contacting their GPs seems to have slacked off a bit. So would the advice very much be that uh, any symptom at all, you, you need to get that test? Yeah, I mean... I, I... It's understandable and, you know, we all want we all want this to be over. We all want this to be done. And it's very difficult, actually, for any individual to keep up your, your I suppose, anxiety level or, or, or threat level for such a prolonged period of time. And, in fact, it's not healthy for people to do that. Um, but equally, we've had over 5,000 cases in the country in the past fortnight alone. So COVID is still out there. And if you have symptoms, if you have symptoms of COVID, it's much more likely to be COVID than anything else uh, at this point, because there, there's very little other respiratory virus um, circulating at the moment. So, so it, it really is. It, I suppose it does come back to the basic messages that we've been give, given to people since 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 2020, which is any symptoms at all, a fever, a cough, um, just isolate yourself, get a test. It's very easy to get a test these days. You don't necessarily need to go to your GP. Uh, there's, been, there's obviously been issues with the ransomware attack around referrals and, and, and the normal testing process. So there's lots of testing centres around the country now where you can just show up and get a test. Uh, and it's really important that people do that. Do not go into a workplace if you have any symptoms. Do not meet up with your friends or other family members if you've got symptoms because you're putting them at risk. Okay, uh, another point that uh, that comes up uh, time and time again, Ronan, is this idea of summer holidays and particularly leaving uh, the island. We know the Digital Green Cert was approved by MEPs this week. I suppose, could you just uh, outline what that means for people who want to travel this summer? So the finer details and all of that is, is still being worked out. But, but effectively, um, I mean, I suppose the key part of it is that for people who are fully vaccinated and fully protected from vaccination, uh, they will be able to travel um, with this cert and it will mean that when they come back to the country they won't have to quarantine in, in the way that they do at the moment. Um, but obviously, I mean, from a public health perspective, we're still encouraging people to to, uh, to holiday at home as much as possible this summer 
uh, and it will be well into July before the, the digital green certificate is, is operational ac- across Europe. Um, but but I, I do think better days are coming in relation to travel and, and the certificate will will certainly uh, facilitate that. Um, but over the next few weeks in particular, again, you know, our advice has to be that people continue to, to holiday at home for now. OK, and I know time is against us, Ronan, but I just have another uh, couple of quick points I want, want to put to you. And I suppose the important one for our listeners and our demographic at the moment is that the vaccine portal will open next week for, for people in their 30s. But there is an element of, of vaccine hesitancy, I suppose. What would you say to people who, who have that opportunity to get the vaccine and, and I suppose how important it is for them to do it? Um, well, I suppose just the first part of your question there will always be some level of vaccine hesitancy, but I think we, we, we always need to be careful that we don't talk ourselves to, or talk up that. I mean, the reality is, is that more than four out of five people under 35 in this country, adults under 35, say they're going to take the vaccine when it's offered to them. That's a very high level of vaccine confidence. Uh, and, and, and the counter to that, just 5% of people say in, in that age group, the 18 to 16 to 35 year age group, say they won't take the vaccine. And there will always be 5% of any age group, of any population at least, who say they won't take any vaccine regardless of the evidence around it. Um, so in fact, I, I, I would be confident as things stand that, that younger people uh, will come forward and get vaccinated uh, when their time comes. And it's, it's really important that they do because I know I keep getting asked, understandably again, about things like electric picnic, uh, about the next uh, academic year in third level institutions, going to college, uh, doing all of the things that the people want to do in, in normal society and have a normal life. But central to that is high vaccine uptake. And so really it is, it is you know, for, for your benefit as an individual, but also for, for the benefit of society more broadly. And I think our population have been really fantastic at listening to the public health messages and adhering to them. Uh, in 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 uh, in the in the interest of solidarity and in the interest of protecting the wider community over the past year, and and I would be very confident that that younger people uh, will take the vaccine in that vein as well over the coming weeks uh, as one more thing that they can do to to contribute to to the country as a whole moving on from this pandemic. Okay, brilliant. But look, Ronan, we we are out of time this morning. My last question for you, and I don't think I've heard this answer so far. You've had a very busy, busy uh, year, year and a half. What does the Deputy Chief Medical Officer do to relax, might I ask? (laughs) Well, I have two small kids, so I don't get much time to relax either at home, unfortunately, over the past year. But um, no, to be honest, over the past year, it's just been about trying to, and I would would also say this to to, to everyone else out there, like the, the news around covid can be overwhelming. Uh, it seems to be always on. Um, so, so I think the best thing that I and and everyone else can do at times is just to, just to completely switch off from 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 the messaging around COVID and just. Uh, I mean, hopefully, over the next few weeks, we can all get back to doing things that we want to do, uh, getting outside, visiting family, and and engaging in all the hobbies that that we're all interested in. Uh, and hopefully, moving on from what's been a very difficult year for for so many people across the country. Okay, well, look, we'll leave it on that positive note. Deputy Chief Medical Officer uh, Dr. Ronan Glynn, thank you very much for your time this morning. Thank you. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102 103.
Now, when we hear the words spike and lockdown together, you probably think case numbers are infections. Well, in fact, there's also been a spike in people seeking out the services of matchmakers here in Ireland during the lockdown. One such business experiencing an increase is intro matchmaking. And to tell us more this morning, I'm joined by the company's director, Fergal Harrington. Good morning, Fergal. Welcome to the programme. Good morning. Thanks for having me, Dean. No problem. Listen, Fergal, you recorded a 60% increase in demand for services. Now, this was in April uh, of this year. Do you think that's because people are thinking uh, summer of dating, summer of love? 100%. Um, and again, you can hire in May. Uh, I suppose since the since COVID hit on the, well, the 12th of March last year, we closed the office doors to the public there on Grafton Street. But we've been busier literally than ever in 10 years Um it's motivated people and made them prioritise dating way more than ever before because people are stuck at home, they're locked down level five, looking at the four walls. They haven't got the organic opportunities to meet people as they had before. 80% of people used to meet in either pubs, dealer, uh, um, college or work. Now everyone's remote learning, uh, everyone's remote working and they're not socialising up until now. And so, therefore, the opportunities were just lost. And people then woke up and thought, oh, my God, do I need to really, you know, get myself moving here? I need to really get proactive. And they did. And more men than women, would you believe? Uh, because women are very good at proactively, like, keeping in touch with people and, I suppose, maintaining and nurturing friendships, whereas guys, it could be argued, aren't as brilliant. So the guys, it could be argued, are feeling the isolation a bit more and they, therefore they've become more proactive than ever before, which is why we've seen such a massive spike. Uh, but it's made it easier as well to join because in the past people would have had to travel up from, you know, Tremor or wherever they are and they'd meet us in, in Grafton Street, whereas now it's a WhatsApp video call. It's a virtual appointment that they have. So that whole effort has been taken out of it. So it's streamlined the business, which is why it's so busy. And is there an element, Fergal, of, of, and I think you touched on it, to be fair, but people, when we weren't in lockdown and COVID wasn't a, a thing a couple of years ago now at this stage, uh, people kind of neglected the love life and thought, oh, I could meet somebody in the bar or I could meet somebody in the restaurant, whereas now the, the spotlight is on them, I, I suppose, been, been locked down on their own. Big time. And, you know, that expression, what's meant for you won't pass you by. I, I hate that expression. It's my least favourite one, and that was the Irish attitude. Yarish, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll meet someone eventually, or Yarish, sure, I'll go on Tinder again, or POF, or Bumble, and sure, maybe it'll happen for me. Uh, sure, I'm too busy with work, or I'm looking after my elderly parent who has, you know, uh, dementia, or my father has a bad back, so we need to stay working on the, on the farm with him, or I need to lose weight. There was all these excuses that people would put in front of, uh, you know, actually meeting someone, because deep down it was, it was uh, worry and fear and anxiety that it may not work or I might be rejected or they may not like me or whatever. So we are insecure and we all have insecurities and we're all worried that, you know, some people won't like us. And that's the same for dating. And, and people sometimes then think it's easier just to say I'm busy uh, than it is to put myself out there, you know, because the fear of rejection is enormous. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned even um, the consultations with yourselves are, are gone online, which we would think more and more people are going online. But what you've noticed is an increase in people coming offline. They don't want to be swiping left and right on apps all day. They want to go a more traditional route. Was that a bit of a shock or was it to be expected? No, for 10 years now, we've been spouting this for a long time. Uh, that's the reason we had a business in the first place. Myself and Rena set this up 10 years ago and we opened on, on, on Dawson Street, then over Cafe on Seine. Because we saw and heard from people saying, do you know what, I am so sick of dealing with people online 
whose intentions are not at all honourable and they're not at all looking for what I'm looking for. I'm looking to get settled down, start a family, get married, have kids, the whole shebang, and yet I'm going out with these guys or these women and they're just in, in it for one night stands. How do you know? There's no way of verifying and vetting people's intentions. And, and that's what made people feel so exhausted by dating. The, the most frequently asked question to me on the phone, and all I do every day, well, not all I do, but a lot of what I do is just talk to people who are single, separated, divorced, or widowed. What they say to me most of all is, Virgo, are there any decent people left out there? And I say, yes. Where, where are you looking? What's going on? And they say, I'm three years on, on POF or on Tinder or on Hinge or on Bumble or Grindr or whatever. And I'm saying, well, there you go. You're on free dating apps. You know, and you can say and do what you like, and no one is going to hold you accountable. But what that does is it makes people so jaded by the whole dating experience that they sometimes become really pessimistic and negative, so that they go out on dates then with almost a face in them, expecting it to fail. Yeah. And then, of course, it does fail. Yeah, well, look, I know from my own experience, it's, it's almost, if you, if you want to have an, uh, what we would call a, a normal conversation, I suppose, people kind of look at you funny and think, why, why are you asking me these questions about what I do for a living and where I live? Do you know, it, it's like that online dating. It, it, it's no, I, I'm kind of wondering what's the format of it. Like people, like you say, the, the decent ones are, are on the apps, but the, there's more times than not been met by the people who maybe aren't as decent. That's it. And they, they put themselves out there in a vulnerable kind of way with the best of intentions and then they get heartbroken and it happens repeatedly. And then it becomes almost like this kind of social media kind of thing. Oh, look how many swipes I got. Look how many uh, swipe rights I got. I got like 20 people said they wanted to, to date me. So I've got options. So it, it, it fuels people's ego temporarily. It's like on Facebook, you throw up a nice picture of you on a yacht and everyone adores it, and you're like, oh my God, everyone thinks I've got a yacht, or whatever. It's all, it's all the same. It's like, and people filter their images to, you know, the nth degree, and then they look at themselves in the mirror with natural light the next morning and feel really, you know, depressed because they're not as hot as they are in their actual uh, picture, or profile picture. So there's a, there's a lot of devastating sort of uh, effects that uh, online dating has on people, and I always say to them, would you get off it if it's making you feel anxious and a little bit down? But I, I, I know of a guy and just to put it out there, not a member of Intro, I know of a guy who in the last three months has had more sexual encounters than he has in his entire life. Okay. So there's an awful lot of promiscuity uh, at the moment. Out of frustration, born out of frustration and pent up whatever, just boredom. Um, but that guy is obviously, you know, it takes two to tango. So there's women out there that are doing that with men. But a lot of the women that he might be meeting, they're not expecting this to just be a one-night stand and him to be gone off and move on to the next person. They're, a lot of the time, will be looking for you know, you know, future companionship with a view to maybe marriage and maybe kids. So what those people are doing to the other people can have devastating kind of effects on them long-term in terms of confidence and insecurities. It can so really, people it can really need to be careful. It can really hit the confidence, I think, when, when, when you think you're in a situation that, that could go somewhere and then you're essentially ghosted. That age-old term, you get ghosted. You just don't hear from the person ever again. Big time. And a lot of the people ask me, why was I ghosted? Why did, they, why did they do that? Why did I speak to them at length about their family and their siblings and everything else? And then they just disappear. And it's a lot of the time, it's not because they don't like you. It's because they're fearful of the fact that this is getting serious and it's getting too heavy. And I don't know if I'm ready for this commitment yet. And there's a lot of that out there. There's a lot of people who would think, oh, geez, maybe the grass is greener, but also I do like that person. But if I like them, that means that I need to actually be decisive and I need to enter into a proper meaningful relationship. And I don't know if I'm ready. I'm scared. That's how people think. And so, but the person who gets ghosted is thinking, 
oh, they mustn't think I'm hot enough, or they mustn't think I'm sound enough. Or they what mustn't did think I do wrong? Yeah, yeah, and nothing is the point. You did nothing wrong, but, but the other people just aren't in the right headspace. So that's why I always say it comes back to the whole thing of put yourself into a pool of like-minded individuals that are looking for the same future goals as you that are well-intentioned. And what separates those serious people from the not-so-serious people? Usually money, having to pay for something. So get off the free dating apps, and if you want to go online dating, at least pay for it. Pay 30 euro a month, because at least it, it, it separates the men from the boys. And it really shows you that at least there's a paper trail from a safety point of view as well. At least you're putting yourself into a, a safer environment than the, uh, than the others. And now that everyone is back out dating again and meeting in public and going to restaurants, you know, it's important that you just do the right thing this time. I mean, if we've learned anything over the last 15 months, it's to, you know, be proactive, but be yourself. But no one comes knocking on the door to start a relationship. So what I always have to say is to people who are given out of the fact that they're single, you know, they have to do something about not being single. It's like someone who hates their job and they go home moaning about it every day at half five. It's like, but go to a HR, you know, department and try and find out, you know, in a recruitment agency what you could be better at. And the same for dating. No one comes knocking on your door, so you have to put yourself out there, but into the right environment is the key. Okay, Fargal, before I let you go, it's not just the Irish that are unlucky in love. There's an expansion on the way for your own company. You're heading across the water. We certainly are. I mean... The, just as Ireland uh, was feeling the effects of lockdown, the whole world is, and it's ridden the, 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 the taboo and that stigma, stigma that was associated with being lonely. Now the whole world is feeling it because COVID has done that to us, which is in turn a weirdly good thing. Uh, so online dating, as we've discussed, is, you know, becoming tiresome. So we decided to franchise uh, the entire um, operation. So we rolled out our first uh, in Austria, in Vienna, and uh, we, are, we have global you know, trademark for intro matchmaking. So anybody who has friends abroad or family abroad who are, I suppose, hungry entrepreneurial types who want their own independent business, tell them to get in touch to intro and uh, we'll be happy to talk. Okay, well, look, Fergal, we've discovered over the last 10 minutes or so that people want to come off the online dating and they want to move to the more traditional route. So, look, we could we could be uh, helping people in love here. But uh, for the moment, uh, Fergal Harrington from Intro Matchmaking, thanks for your time this morning. Thanks so much. Pleasure. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. Now... COVID-19 has had a massive impact on almost every industry in Ireland and one of those described as worst hit is the music and entertainment sector and many of whom still have yet to return to work and to discuss this further I'm joined this morning by Mark Graham who is a lecturer in music technology at WIT. Good morning Mark, how are you? Not bad, how are you getting on? I'm not too bad at all. I suppose, Mark, to start, as someone directly involved uh, with, with the music industry for, for a number of years now, what have the last 12 plus months been like for musicians? Oh, great. You know, the, it's, and it's, I suppose the distinction needs to be made. It's, first, it's the live industry that's been impacted. There are still people making, you know, music, you'll never stop music being made and you'll never stop people playing music and singing, but it's the the live industry has been impacted by this. You know, people going to gigs, people playing gigs, and that's what, what has hit people pretty hard, especially those people who depend solely on the live industry for their income. And that's something that we're, we've been kind of trying to pivot in WIT with the music degree insofar as when we have students coming in to study music, one of the things that we talk about is equipping yourself with as many tools as possible to make your career as sustainable as possible. So the idea would be, you know, 
yes, you'd make a, a good portion of your, your income from live performance, but are there other areas in the music industry where you can be employed as well? And the more you diversify, the more skills you have, the more tools you have in that musical toolbox, I suppose the more stable your career will be. And the last two years has proved that, as if we need it, proof of it. Yeah, and I suppose we'll talk a little bit uh, about the um, honours music degree in WIT. So from September 2021, this coming September, the cohort who, who enter WIT, they're going to be the first to benefit from a new career development focus on the court and uh, on the course rather. And I suppose that plays into what you've just said there about being diverse and being able to spread your wings across the entire industry. Yeah, and it's something that we've recognised for a while now, something that we've been we've been doing and this is the the formalization of that where we've changed the structure of the degree course a little bit to focus on making as solid a career as possible in as many different areas as possible where traditionally the 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 primary streams of employment would have been performance and music teaching you know they would have been the the, the rock solid and the bedrock of that but both of those things were impacted by covid over the last year and a half two years and even before that, we had looked at it and said, well, the more we equip people for a diverse range of careers in music, the the, the more value we bring to what we do as, as a, an institute and the more value we bring as a degree course and as lecturers as well. And the, the idea being of the, the diverse roles that are available to people now who are music are musicians and music practice, practitioners. Um, an example would be there out in the broadcast centre where we are Owen Corrigan one of the broadcast technicians that, that's working with you guys. Owen is one of the men that keeps us on air. <laughs> exactly. And Owen is a musician. And Owen studied in WIT and he did the music degree course, but he also focused on music technology. So as well as keeping ye on air, which is part of what he studied, he's also a musician and he gigs when gigs are around as well. And that's the kind of thing that we're going to try and focus on and underline, you know, that diversification of career paths within music and within the surrounding areas of music. And would there have been a, a clear divide maybe five, ten years ago, Mark, where people very much wanted to be the performer, they wanted to be the star of the show, and they they didn't really want to do any of the other stuff like you've outlined, uh, whereas now it's more about being, being right across the board. And like you say, being able to be the sound engineer, but also being able to be the person that gets up on stage and entertains the crowd. I think possibly... And I think that some courses were, were tailored in that way. But I think that, especially with the way the technology, and that's the area that I, that I teach, has developed, you know, that it is possible now for people to record themselves and to become sound engineers and to have a small studio set up in their house and to become knowledgeable and experienced in that area because the, the equipment is becoming so cheap and becoming so available. Whereas before, you know, let's go back. I think you'd have to go back a bit further than the last few years. I'd say maybe 10 or 15 years ago. A studio was something that was very expensive to spend a day in. But a lot of musicians now have that technology in their homes. And what's really interesting to see in the last year and a half was was how quickly musicians and, and music industry professionals adapted to streaming things online and streaming very high-quality content online as well. So that technology is available. And what we do is, you know, we combine skills in performance, combine skills in teaching techniques, combined skills in writing music, and all of that, and technology. And through doing that, we equip students with as many skills as possible 
But then as they get through the four years of the degree course, we kind of focus them and say, well, what areas do you think you have most skills in and how can we turn that into a sustainable career? And I think that's the, the key word in that is, you know, the, the idea of a, a sustainable career, something that can be sustained. And then what you're talking about, um, what's interesting is maybe 10, 15 years ago, you may have had some music students going to courses like ours or like other courses who said to themselves, you know, I want to be the next Ed Sheeran. And what's kind of interesting at the moment is Ed Sheeran is kind of semi-retired. Even Ed Sheeran doesn't want to be the next Ed Sheeran <laughs> anymore. You know, so find it, and, and that, that tells of itself that... The, for somebody who relies solely on performance, it's a very difficult industry to make a career for yourself. And there's very few people who manage to do that solely on performance. You know, that usually there's another string to their bow. And I think of somebody like Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead. You know, Radiohead are amazing yeah. in relation to a band. They're one of the most successful bands in the world. But Johnny Greenwood also composes music for film and for cinema. You know, so the, he, there's other things going on. And I listened to an interesting interview with his brother. Um, and he was in a restaurant in Italy and he met uh, um, the Tony Bennett. I don't know if you're familiar with him, the American no. uh, kind of crooner. He, he'd be similar to Frank Sinatra. He released a single with Lady Gaga a few years ago. and did, did really well. But Tony Bennett, is, I think he's in his 80s now and has been performing for most of his life. Very successful in that kind of big band swing genre. And he was talking to one of the Greenwoods, and he said to him, what's your plan B? And your man kind of looked at him and said, I'm in Radiohead, I don't need a plan yeah, B. Yeah. I'm and sorry then he kind of said, hang on, yeah, we're Radiohead, what, what, what else do we need to do? But then he looked at him and said, hang on, this is Tony Bennett, this is one of the most successful entertainers in the world. And he said, what's your plan B? And Tony Bennett said, I paint as well, I'm a painter. And not and not so much what I thought was interesting about it. It's not so much as having a plan B. It's having more than one string to your bow. It's that and something that's... to fall back on. No, not quite something to fall back on. Slightly different to that. Something that works in tandem with what you're doing anyway. So okay. the example of Owen, who works in who works with you, you know, being a musician isn't his plan B, or being a broadcast technician isn't his plan B. They're plan A and B that run together side by side at the same time and they actually feed each other so it isn't plan a or plan b it's plan a and plan b and maybe even plan c as well another really good example is a graduate we had uh, pat o'connor so pat is a musician and um, pat plays as a band called the pearly whites based in kilkenny pat also composes music for film and for media and pat also teaches so that's not a plan a b or c that's plan a b and c yeah, and they're they're all make, in the one industry and they all like you. They're all in the one tandem. industry. They all feed into each other, exactly. And like, I play with the band King Kong Company and we, we do all right. You know, we get really good festival gigs and I teach in WIT and I'm creating some music and writing some stuff for Spree. So all of those things run concurrently with each other. And that's what we're trying to bring more to the degree as well. The idea of, you know, focusing on well, what what are the careers, and what and not just a career? What are the rewarding careers that we can prepare people for in the course? You know, things where where they leave college, and what what I find interesting at the moment is that you know there's a there's an organisation set up in Ireland called Minding Creative Minds, and the idea of this is that it's counselling for people who are in the creative industries. And one of the questions I'd be asking is, well, why are people in the creative industry? Why do we need counselling? And part of that is the idea of having a rewarding and sustainable career that doesn't put 
so much pressure on you because you're depending on this one thing to sustain you and your rewarding career. Yeah, okay. Well, look, on, on a final note, Mark, it is timely because people are doing the leaving cert this week, next week, the week after, uh, and they do have time to change their mind for their CEO. For, so if there's anybody, uh, CAO, I, I should say, if there's anybody listening this morning who, who is considering that career in music, what would you say to them as the final push for, for WIT, I suppose, and what you're doing from September? Yeah, one of the things that would have been said historically is, you know, well, you can't make a career out of that. And I beg to differ. I've made a career out of music. You know, a couple of the people that we've mentioned so far have made careers out of music. And importantly, not just have they made careers something that's rewarding and sustainable, getting to do the thing that you love often doesn't feel like work. You know, that there there is this rewarding element besides the monetary reward to what you do in the creative industries. And if you can make that a career that does pay the bills as well, you know, every day is a joy when you get to go to work. I love, I love that saying. If you, if you enjoy your work, you never work a day in your life. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's, that's the saying. Well, brilliant. Look, uh, Mark Graham, lecturer in music technology at WIT. Uh, a great discussion and thanks very much for your time this morning. Thanks for having me. The Sunday Grill on Beat 102-103. Now, on the Sunday Grill, we're going to talk about the Apple conference. They held their week-long conference uh, this week. A ton of new features and technologies have been announced as part of the latest round of software updates. Uh, Dermot Daly is a software engineer with Tabadoo, app creators for both Android and iOS, and he joins me this morning. Uh, Dermot, how are you today? I'm very good, thanks. Uh, firstly, can I ask you your thoughts on, on what you've heard this week from the Apple conference and maybe bring me through some of the main points that have stood out to you this week? Yeah, I guess, um, look, it's always an exciting time for us. You know, we turn up at this uh, to see what's coming next year. So Apple pre-announced iOS 15 and what's coming and so on. Uh, I guess the the big things that stood out for us were um, more advances in privacy, which Apple have got a good record on, but are really turn it up a notch. Uh, also, some, some changes around notifications, which I think will probably affect some of our, our work as well. And I think a lot of people, Dermot, may have been surprised to hear about this invisible email tracker. Uh, and I suppose the fact it actually exists, because I, I remember reading this week thinking, I never knew that there was an invisible email tracker, that, that there was such a thing. What can you tell us about that and how it works? That's a real common technique used primarily by advertisers, right? But so... What it usually means is that, you know, when you get an email, it's usually quite rich. It's got images and so on in it. But uh, a capability used by the ad companies in the last number of years as to what they put in, they, they, they call them an invisible pixel. So what it is, is it's a one-by-one transparent pixel uh, retrieved off their web servers. But the important thing about it is the the web address for those trackers tend to be unique in every email they send. Uh, and what it does is it means that when you open an email, you, you take a look at it, and as your as your email client is loading the content of your of, of your email, what it does is it goes off and requests this image because it's an image that's part of the email. Um, but what that is telling the server is, you know, user one two three four opened the email and has read it uh, from this IP address at uh, at this date and time. So it's a real uh, successful way of tracking opens of your emails and so on. It's a technique that's been used for many years, to be quite honest with you. 
And would us, the user, or I suppose the receiver of the email, would we have any way of knowing this is happening? Is, is there any signs that stand out that maybe mightn't be common to someone that's not familiar with email or, or maybe the IT world? Not really. I mean, the, the, the thing is uh, that, you know, that all depends on where you view your mail. And, and, and lots of us view our mails in very, very different places. You know, if you take, for example, uh, you might be using the Gmail client, but my Gmail also comes through to me on my iPhone. So now I'm using Apple's um, email client or I open it up on my Mac. And again, I'm using Apple's Mac client in that case. People might be using Thunderbird or, 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 or other um you know, Outlook, other mail clients. So it won't always be obvious to them that there are embedded trackers in their mail. Um, and like I say, they're kind of part of the course. They're, they're used all over the place. So if you if you receive um, a mail where you're on a mailing list, there's a, a high probability that um, the person who sent you the mail or the organization who sent you the mail have a good picture of when you when you opened it. And and that might might seem like a big thing, but when you augment that across, if 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 that tracker is being sent by an advertising network, um, you might have opened three or four mails from three or four different companies, but the advertisers then can use that to, uh, or, you know, to basically correlate your your mail behaviours and so on, uh, to help them target better ads at you. And Apple now are, are kind of leading the way in getting rid of this technology, essentially, or, or maybe not making it a, as common practice. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so what what they've done is in their mail clients um, and a new feature coming to to iCloud Plus, which is a kind of a new a new offering from Apple, um, is that they're using this concept called a, a private relay. So requests that come from your phone are first relayed through Apple. So, um, and they will do stuff like changing headers, changing IP addresses, and so on. So, um, you you might still request the pixel. You you won't know you you are requesting it, but the data that's presented to the advertiser is let's just say less rich. So it doesn't give you give them a a, a strong view of you. Um, uh, you know, it, it looks like it's come from Apple. It doesn't look like it's come from you individually, if you know what I mean. So it, it, it helps kind of mask you from from the advertisers. And to pick up on, on that term you use, this new feature, it is called the private relay. And that's also going to help hide websites that you visit on Safari. Yeah, again, private relay is, got, is actually, you know, if you were signed up to iCloud Plus, in fact, all your network traffic can go through it. I think I think you can think of this a bit like a VPN. I, I know that you'll probably see lots of ads around for for virtual private networks, where you can switch on um, to to hide where you're coming from. But you know, a lot of people use VPNs to pretend they're in different countries to get around content um, restrictions and so on. Um, what Apple are providing is a way of again masking your IP address, not necessarily masking your location. In fact, the the, there, there will still be approximate location um, in the IP address you use, but uh, yeah, the idea behind it is is that basically to give the, the the people who are serving content less information about the people who are retrieving the content. And four letters we're all familiar with, Dermot, over the last uh, number of years, GDPR. Uh, it seems Apple have now elevated GDPR and brought it to a whole new level for protecting users' data. Yeah, I think the, the the 
the funny thing about GDPR is, you know, when it when it came in a couple of years ago, um, you you might find that you'd land on a US site and it would say, "Oh, sorry, you're going from Europe and." Uh, your laws are too strict, therefore we're not delivering your content. And I've seen this knocking around a bit, but you know, and particularly in US sites. But but interestingly, Apple have kind of led the way on privacy. So uh, they they claim it's you know one of the pillars of their organisation, but they're also proven in a number of recent um, you know recent updates to their operating systems and so on. And another change announced with iOS 15 is this option to schedule a video call through FaceTime. Uh, and we know over the last uh, uh, 12 to 18 months, I suppose, everything has gone online and we're all familiar with, with um, softwares like Zoom and Microsoft Teams. So is this now bringing a, a new element of competition from, from a, a video conferencing side of things? Yeah, I certainly think so. I mean, you know, when, when you visit... Uh, the states, you'll you'll find that a lot of people use FaceTime as a matter of uh, you know kind of everyday use. It, it gets lots more use than I would see anecdotally uh, here in Ireland, for example. But and it has had group calling for some time. But the ability to add a scheduled group call, yeah, it's bringing it more into I guess the year we've just been through. Um, and and I I saw something I need to I need to double check this, but. I saw something where they were saying, and you can start it right there in your browser, which suggests to me that um, they might be opening up beyond iCloud users, or at least, you know, you don't have to have an Apple device to get on a FaceTime call. That's what it looked like. Um, I, that probably needs a bit more a bit more digging to know that for sure. And that would be an interesting angle if they were opening it up because normally Apple are, are quite protective of, of the product they have. So, I mean, if that's going to be available now to Android and maybe Microsoft users, it, it gives them more scope as a company to draw in the crowd. Yeah, I guess. I mean, look, you know, it's probably not very well known, but they did release Apple Music on Android a couple of years ago. So, I mean, I, I think what they they realize is if you take, for example, um, there's very good family features. But that kind of implies that, you know, the whole family are on uh, Apple devices, which isn't always the case. So, you know, it's, it's quite common, say, for example, a parent might have uh, an iPhone, but, but the kids might have um, Android devices. So it, it, it's probably more recognizing that. Um, look, uh, they're not going to go full on into into uh, supporting Android and supporting Windows just yet. But I think in places where collaboration is necessary, uh, they've certainly made some good strides. You know, the, the likes of say Pages and uh, Keynote have very, very capable editions that run completely on the web. So, um, you know, we're, we're, I suppose there, there's little chinks there, all right. Okay, okay. Uh, Dermot, before I let you go, we mentioned at the at the start of the interview that, that you work with uh, Tabadoo. You're a software engineer. I'm just interested to know, uh, since you launched in 2009, has the process of designing apps for iOS and Android changed much? Yeah, I mean, look, it's constantly evolving. Um, what I would say is uh, in the early days, um, a, a lot of our time was spent meeting people with ideas and uh, trying to help evaluate those ideas and deciding which ones to take on. Now I would say it's quite mature. So a lot of our customers, for example, are long-term customers that we've been working with for a number of years and we do all of their mobile work. So we, we would find a lot more work in the corporate sector and so on at this stage. The other thing I think we'd find is that um, on both iOS and Android, the, the the platforms have got significantly wider. What I mean by that is they've like lots more capabilities. 
So I guess back in 2009, 2010, you know, an Android developer would know their way around the whole Android operating system, and an iOS developer would know their way around all of the iOS frameworks and so on. But now you'll find that there are so many frameworks and so many capabilities that, you know, sometimes people are are getting specialties within the uh, within the platforms, you know. There's just lots and lots of stuff you can do and from from basics up to, up to really really advanced AR VR vision machine learning all that sort of stuff so if anything it's just got more and more techni- technologically advanced Brilliant. Well, look, all of these changes we've discussed, uh, they will be part of iOS 15 as announced at the week-long Apple conference. But for the moment, uh, Dermot Daly from uh, Tabadoo, thank you very much indeed for your time. Thanks a lot. Brilliant, Dermot. That was fantastic. Thanks so much for that.